Yeah, you can. Yeah. All right, as, uh, as those parents are helping get their kids uh, moved and then they get back in, uh, we have been in a marriage sermon series that we've titled Happily Ever After. Today, obviously, is part four. Next week is part five. Uh, and um, uh, my challenge has been uh, to, to, to bring the reality of our life to um, just the forefront of who we are. And I'll be honest with you, as, as a pastor and, and a preacher, I always want you to be encouraged. And there's a part of me that's been a little bit of like, Lord, how are these stories, these Bible couples that we are looking at, how can they be an encouragement to us? And, and, and I've been wrestling with the fact that there's been so much like turmoil in the Bible characters that we have looked at, that I hope you go away with the hope of the lessons their life teaches us, instead of going away discouraged that maybe it didn't end like the fairy tale you want it to be. And this is my problem with the way Western world Christians read the Scripture. We read it from a Western world ideology or Western world idea, eyes and ideas. And therefore, we want everything in the Bible to be a fairy tale and so we give up on it because if it is a fairy tale, it doesn't match the reality of our life. Because how many lives in this room is a fairy? Come on. Most of us would say that our life is, you know, the train, hello somebody, the train wreck, right? Like that we're trying to recover from. The soap opera, here we go. What I love about the scripture, especially the Christian faith in and of itself, it doesn't feel like it needs to hide the inadequacies and failures of our biblical heroes in order to get us to see Jesus for who he really is. The, the Bible has nothing to do with trying to put a facade on for you. So please don't view these stories as if not as all hopes lost because if they can't get it, how do we get it? The Bible says it was written for our admonition to learn. Therefore, God has nothing to hide from you. And so he puts it out there. Today's story is no different. Hello, somebody. Let's talk about Jacob and Rachel and Leah. And the two concubines. Let's talk about a marriage. I'm, I'm talking about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That Jacob. That Jacob. That's who we want to look at. Watch this. Genesis chapter 29. I'm going to start with verse 1 and I'll jump to verse 20. Watch this. Then Jacob went on his journey and came to a land of the people of the east. This is his mother's people. Okay, not his father's people, but his mother's side. And he looked and saw well in the field, and behold, three flocks of sheep lie beside it. For out of that well the flocks were watered. The stone on the well's mouth was large, and when the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll. Shepherds are plural. The shepherds would roll. I love this. Now, you, you can't miss this. They would roll the stone from the mouth of the whale and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth of the whale. And Jacob said to them, my brothers, where do you come from? And they said, we're from Haran. 
And he said to them, Do you know Laban, son of Nahor? And they said, We know him. And he said to them, Is it well with him? They said, It's well. And see, Rachel, his daughter, is coming with sheep. His eyes instantly turn from a bunch of dirty, smelly shepherds who've been with sheep and hadn't taken a shower in the sun, in the dirt. His eyes turn away because they said, here comes Rachel. And, and he, he turns around and, and look, and he said, behold, it is still high noon. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered yet. Water and sheep and go pasture them. And he said, we cannot until the flocks are gathered together and the stone is rolled from the mouth of the well because it took a couple of guys. It took several shepherds to move this capstone from this well because it was heavy. Now watch this. And while he was still speaking with them, Rachel, the one who, who, who don't smell like the shepherds, don't look like the shepherds, probably brushed her teeth that morning and combed her hair a little bit, came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherdess. Now, as soon as Jacob saw Rachel, the daughter of Laban, his mother's brother, and the sheep of Laban's mother's brother, Jacob came near and rolled the whale's mouth and water. All by himself he moved this rock. Here comes a pretty girl, let me flex. <laughs> Y'all don't read the Bible like I do. I'm just... Get out of the way. I can, let me show her how strong I am. Right? Like, look at this girl. It's, I ain't making it. I was a trick box right there. He came and rolled the stone from the whale's mouth and watered the flock and of Laban, his mother's brother. And Jacob kissed Rachel and wept aloud. Now, y'all got it. I want you to see what I see. Rachel comes. Get out of the way. I'll get it myself. Grabs a hold of this stone. Rolls it off of there. Flexes with her for a little bit. She's standing there in awe. And he grabs a hold of her. And kisses her right on the mouth. And goes, Woo! <laughs> this book's amazing. You should read it sometime. It's right there. <laughs> and Jacob told Rachel he was his father's kinman. And that he was Rebecca's son. And she ran and told her father. Verse 20. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. And they seemed to him but a few days. Because the love he had for her. Let's read. Father, bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ear and the receiving of our heart in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Uh, I'm just telling you. This story is unbelievable. When you slow down for a minute and you read this story, especially in the context of what we've been talking about for the last few weeks, we come to this idea and this thought process that we understand that uniting two people is always going to come with, two ch with challenges. Come on, uniting two people is always going to come with challenges. 
And that is an understatement for this couple and this marriage. Because in the story of this marriage, in the story of the life of this couple, let me, let me help you out. There's lying, there's conniving, there's two wives and two concubines, four women involved in the marriage. There's witchcraft and prostitution, 12 sons who are marked by jealousy and slave trading. No soap opera. Not one. Not the edge of midnight. Or all my children. Or whatever the names of those slop operas are. They can't come close to this. I just can't do it. They cannot do it. But let me say this to us all in this room this morning because I want us to embrace the reality of life as the scripture touches our hearts and lives to challenge us and to change us for God's glory. Even in a marriage absent of such problems. Two people who think they know each other before their wedding can often find themselves living with a different person after they got married. And everybody in the room said, Amen. What have I done? See, because after the honeymoon and, and after the wedding cake and after all that stuff, uh, you know, that happens and, and everything that takes place inside of all those things, everyday life has a way of unearthing um, the real person behind those starry eyes. It's true. This is what happens with Jacob and Rachel. And what we miss is if you read the story, Leah, who the Bible says is unloved and unwanted, she actually became a better wife to Jacob than Rachel. I don't have time to do that today. Here's the biggest truth all us married people now know but might not know what to do next. Once you are married, the real work for maintaining the relationship begins. And that is a truth. Marriage is a gift that's wrapped from the Lord and given to us as a blessing. But I believe that its true value comes after the gift is opened and you have time to enjoy it, invest in it, and watch it be what God wants it to be. You see, in our story, as we move through some things and we think about our own life, maybe regardless of where we're at in life, whether we're married or not married, whether our marriage is good or our marriage is struggling, maybe we sit in this room today and we've experienced the brokenness of marriage. It doesn't matter because what I need you to do is understand that God is our high and great redeemer. When we last see Jacob, he is bailing out of that place a hundred miles an hour with a cloud of dust behind him running from Esau. 
And he runs some 400 miles away across the desert to his mother's family. Now, I need you to understand something because what we don't often get a hold of is that Jacob's mother's family was pagans. In particular, they were of a pagan culture that practiced witchcraft. Now, I can prove that to you. We're going to see that in a little bit. But I'll just preference that for all of you right now that might be a little bothered by that statement. They practiced the dark arts. They practiced witchcraft because Laban himself looks at Jacob and says, It has been revealed to me by divination that while you lived here, your God blessed me. That's in the book. He says that. Rebecca and Leah both would have been idol worshipers that practiced witchcraft. Some of y'all, some of y'all look, I feel it in the room, but this is the place where Jacob finds himself. But in a dream, God speaks to him. Genesis 28, 15. Don't worry. Here Jacob is homeless, penniless, without a single friend. And God speaks to him in Genesis 28, 15. I'll read it to you quick here. Behold, I'm with you, and I'll keep watch wherever you go. And I'll bring you back. To the land of your father. It's right there. Jacob finds himself one morning in a pagan world full of idol worshipers where witchcraft is practiced on the daily, where the people there are used to the dark arts and the things that happen and those things. And God speaks to him in the midst of that when he's homeless, when he's penniless, when he's without a single friend. God says, I am with you. And so his fear begins to be replaced with a powerful promise about his future. And this gave him strength for a long time. To endure this lonely trip. And what unfolds next is like the opening scene of a bestseller novel. As a matter of fact, it is a bestseller. It's been a bestseller for a long, long, long time. Let me tell you what's going on because I think you need to know. We just read, we opened up with Genesis 29, verses 1 through... This is my reading schedule, by the way. If it falls out of my Bible, it proves that I'm, it's in there and I'm reading. So there you go. Um, Jacob arrives at this watering hole. Now, you, again, you just got, I want you to slow down and begin to read your Bible and take some joy in it. Because this is epic. He, he arrives at this watering hole and he is a man on a mission. Like, I, I mean, he is a man on a mission like nobody else's business in chapter 27, verse uh, 43. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise and flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and, and stay with him uh, a, a while until your father's fury turns away, until your brother's angers turn uh, from you, and, and he forgets what you've done to him. Then I'll send and bring from you there why should I be breath of you both in one day? 
And Rebecca said to Isaac, I loathe my life. I loathe. Rebecca said, I, I. So his mom says, get out of here. Get out of here. Get out of here. He's a man on a mission. I got to go. I got to go find a wife. I got to go. My mom has sent me on a mission. This is what's taking place there. And so he finds his uncle and he finds his uncle. I mean, it's like a kneel in a haystack, but he manages to do it. He finds his uncle. He's never met before. And, and, and his daughter. Hello, somebody. Woo! I mean, that was his words, not mine. It's in your Bible. He finds this girl. And I love this. He runs right over to her. He flexes. Oh, oh. Look at that. Come here, girl. Let me show you something. Wow. What you doing? <laughs> See all these wimpy little shepherds? Come here, girl. Show you, right? Like, he kisses her straight on the mouth and gives out a whoop. Like, come on. Guys, I dare you to come home after a long day of work. Come right in the house, your wife, standing there in your beautiful home. Walk right up to her, flex her, kiss her right on the mouth, and give out a big old wolf. I dare you to do it. You won't do it. It's love at first sight. I mean, come on, right? This is what things of stories are made of. From this point on, he is straight up distracted. Hello, somebody. He's on a mission. I got to marry this girl. I got to marry this girl. And so what does he do? He moves in with Laban and his two daughters. Right? Now, I'm not necessarily going to condemn love at first sight. Uh, that's not my business. But let me show you what's missing here. There's no record that Jacob ever consulted God about this girl. I mean, if God could put the details in the scripture to show us him flexing... You would think God would put the details in there about Jacob. Saying, hey God, what you think about this girl? There's no record there. It's not in the book. So Jacob is so smitten by her that here's what he does. He's got nothing to offer her father for the dowry. Let me tell you something, young men. You want to understand what it means to pursue a girl? You probably need to be pursuing her dad too. And I hope it doesn't go well for you. How much is she worth? I had this guy I didn't like come pick my daughter up one day to take her on. He had a brand new T-top Trans Am. Pulls up into my yard. I don't like this guy. I ain't got to like him. I want him to go to heaven. I want everybody to go to heaven. I want some to go sooner than others. Especially a guy in a black Trans Am T-top. Who's going to take my daughter out on a date. He, Jesus come quickly for him. <laughs> and I got this big old boxer bulldog sitting next to my recliner. And I hear this car pull up. 
Her name was Dixie. She was a beautiful animal. She didn't like strangers. Especially men. I got her as an adult dog, and the, 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 the man I got her from had incredibly abused her, and it took years to win her heart to mine. And I loved this dog, and she was an incredible creature. She did not like strange men. And she's about 70 pounds of brute. And I hear this car pull up in my driveway about two minutes before they're supposed to leave. The car don't turn off. My doorbell hadn't rung. This is sitting in his car. He ain't even going to come look at me. He going to take my daughter on a date? Negative. Hey, Dixie, you need to go potty. <laughs> it's a true story. Y'all think I'm lying. Ask her. I opened the door that he did not knock on. And I let that dog out in the front yard and she went straight to his brand new Trans Am black T-top. Stood up on the side of it and starts giving him gruff right through the window. Slobber coming out of her mouth. Draining down this brand new washed car. And she's got her feet on the side of it and she is giving him what for. And I have so much joy in my heart. Yes! Pleasures, Jesus. My wife comes running down the hallway. Go get that dog. <laughs> so I open the door and I step out on the sidewalk and I look out there. Uh, you've never seen so much drool in all your life on a car. He cracks the window about this far and he says, can I get out? I said, no, she'll bite you. <laughs> Punk. Don't show up two minutes before you got to take. You better show up an hour before and wash his car. <laughs> I don't have to let my, my wife said, oh, you, I don't have to think it's cute. I don't. It's not cute. I know him because I used to be him. And so therefore, I don't like him. <laughs> Oh, Jesus. Y'all glad I'm saved. Jacob arrives, moves in. He's got nothing to offer. Surely she's worth something. And so you know what he does? He sells himself into slavery for seven years for her. I said he sells himself into slavery for seven years. I wonder in our lives what kind of slavery we sell ourselves to by not just simply asking God, what do you think? I don't have time to go down that road. But here's the power of love. How much did Jacob love her? Seven years. He waited. Seven years he waited. Young people, seven years he waited. 
I hear these young people all the time go, oh, well, you know, sex before marriage is no big thing. Like, I mean, you wouldn't drive a car before you test drive it. You would kick the tires and check it all out underneath the hood. You mean that car you're probably going to not take care of, not wash, not vacuum, wreck and ruin and scratch and beat up? You mean that car that's probably going to last you two, three, maybe five years? Is that the attitude that you have about the person you're thinking about committing the rest of your life to? No, your spouse is not meant by God to take for a test drive before you get married. Pastor Don's preaching a little bit this morning. But I got to move on. Because somebody's going to get violated. But see, a crush, puppy love, lust, those are selfish and immature things that are in a hurry to get what they want. I love you for what I can get from you. And as soon as I can't get nothing from you no more, I'm going to move on, right? True love says your happiness is what I want most and I'm willing to wait for whatever it is because that's what's best for you. The greatest test of true love is a willingness to wait. Wait. And pray. And seek. And discern. And now we got to fast forward because what we understand here is that uh, y'all already think my sermons are too long, so I need to get to it. Laban deceives Jacob on the wedding night, on the day of the wedding. Scholars believe and suggest that Laban had a plan worked out with his two daughters because Leah, the Bible says she was weak in the eyes, which means she had some kind of deformity and therefore she was never going to earn him a dowry. He was never going to be able to get her married and make some income off of that. And so he goes to his daughters and works them out and says, hey, I got a way for both of you to be protected, both of you to be taken care of, but I need you on this scheme. And so what happens is Laban, because we know that Laban and Jacob like to drink together, gets him drunk, sends him into a dark tent, and in the morning, Jacob wakes up with a hangover and the wrong wife. The deceiver has been deceived. Somebody should write a book. And now he has to enter into another seven years of slavery. What does this mean for Jacob? In a matter of one week, he's obtained two wives and agreed to seven more years of slavery. There's no way this turns out well. One of the patriarchs of the Bible sells himself into slavery twice, enters into a bigamous relationship that is not God's will then, it is not God's will now, and it never will be God's will. Genesis 2.24, we've been down that road already, says God created the male and female. One marriage is for one man and one woman. Be careful what you wish for. Be careful what you wish for. I would today that I had time to read Genesis 29 and 30 together with you and walk you through this. But it is incredible what happens. What a mess. 
It takes place over 20 years. One man married two sisters who were in complete competition with each other. Leah, he, he, he did not love and did not want, kept popping out babies like a machine. Even though the Bible says she's unwanted and unloved, it didn't mean she was, it never said she was untouched. She's bobbing out babies like nobody's business. Rachel is a spoiled brat who is jealous and throws a fit. She goes in Genesis chapter 30 verse 1 and says to Jacob, Give me some children! And Jacob's like, Who am I? God? Obviously birthing children around here isn't my problem. Leah's popping them out every time we get around each other. Here's a woman who had almost everything. She was the loved wife, which was illegal anyway. You couldn't show favoritism. Yet she was unhappy. She's whiny, she's cranky, she's envious, she's selfish, she's discontent, she's demanding. She turns to witchcraft to get pregnant. She approaches Leah one day after Reuben, Leah's firstborn, has been out looking for mandrakes. Mandrakes. Everybody say mandrakes. Mandrakes are used by the occult for divination. Why? Because when you pull a mandrake up, the root looks like a human. And so in voodoo and in witchcraft, they use mandrakes all the time to cast spells and to do divination with. It still goes on today. It's still practiced today by the occult. Mandrakes are a top ingredient into witchcraft or and she approaches Leah one day after Reuben's been out looking for mandrakes. The only reason you're going to look for mandrakes is because you're working in divination. Because you don't eat the things. So obviously he's walking, walking with his mom. He's practicing witchcraft with her. He finds mandrakes. He brings them to Leah. And Rachel comes and says, I want some of those mandrakes. Because we know that we use those things to do incantations. We wear them and we put them under the bed as a way of conceiving children. I don't have time to do it for you today. I'm just asking you. Listen, test me. Read it for yourself. And Leah says to her, isn't it enough that you have my husband? What that means is Jacob hadn't been in her tent in a while. That you now want my son's mandrakes? Both you and I know what mandrakes are for. What kind of spell are you trying to cast? You're trying to get pregnant. I know what you're trying to do. But I'll beat you to the punch. Tell Jacob he's got to come spend the night in my tent tonight. And I'll give you some mandrakes. It's right there in your book. She pimps her husband out. Prostitution. Y'all not ready for the Bible. And she works with these mandrakes and begins to try to get pregnant through divination. 
Now, although she eventually gives birth, she's still discontent because these two are going back and forth with each other. So, you know, uh, uh, Leah said, uh-uh, I'm not letting you get up on me. If you're going to have a baby, I'm going to have a baby, and we're going to have a baby, and we're going to have a baby, and we're going back and forth to babies, and babies are going to be everywhere, and we'll just see who's the best wife around here. And so what happens, I believe, is that Rachel serves as a warning to us about what discontentment can do and how it can ruin marriage for everybody. What's the solution? Married people, let me tell you what the solution is. Narrow your focus. As married people, we have to be on the lookout for the poison of discontentment in our marriage. It is a marriage crippler. It works together to steal our marriage. And therefore, we need to work together against discontentment to save our marriage. Jacob serves as a warning to us about the lack of spiritual leadership in a marriage. Yes, Jacob, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That Jacob put up with idolatry and witchcraft. He put up with it for 20 years. He allowed it to take place. Over and over. Reuben, the firstborn of Leah, is old enough to be out searching for mandrakes. This is years down the road. At least seven, if not 14. How could this ever happen? How could his leadership spiritually fail so much as a patriarch? Yes, I mean, he is God's man. He is handpicked by God. He has talked with God. He is touched by God. But for some reason, church, his relationship with God failed to influence his family. He fathers children with four different women. Because it's not enough that those two women are in competition themselves to have babies. But now they give their handmaidens. To him. So they can also have babies. And Jacob's like. Okay. Bella is one of them. One of the concubines. He let Rachel. Take her father's idols. And practice witchcraft. This is Jacob. Two of his sons killed the men of Shechem. Because he wouldn't go confront the men. Who raped his daughter. His sons connived to kill their little brother, Joseph. Ultimately, they decided to sell him into slavery. Reuben, the firstborn, sleeps with his father's concubine, Billa. By the time he gets around to trying to fix this mess and do what's right by demanding that his family put away these false gods, this witchcraft, this idolatry, and live right, it is too late. They're all grown. All those boys have already married other pagan wives who have religious witchcraft practices and the people of God suffer for the next thousand years. Through idolatry because Jacob failed to lead spiritually. So, here we go. Lessons for wives. Y'all ready? This is so good. Now, ladies, hear me with your good ear because you know I love you. When you must wait. I should have used a different word, but it's okay. You'll hear my heart. Be useful. Waiting has nothing to do with being idle. God uses people, God uses events, God uses circumstances, ladies, to work in your life. For Rachel, the event was the arrival of her cousin Jacob. 
The circumstance was the time of day that he showed up. The time to water the sheep. The people are both their families. Now watch this, ladies. When your life is on hold, when you are in waiting pattern, my encouragement to you as a wife is set some goals, stay busy, and be faithful. Let God use events, circumstances, and people in your life to set you up for his purpose at the right time. But if you sit idle and you're not working, you will miss that moment. Rachel came with her father's sheep. She's waiting for a husband. All those other shepherds knew her. They all knew her. They all knew how beautiful she was. Even though she was a shepherdess, she didn't smell like them. She didn't look like the hello somebody. Because the Bible testifies of her beauty. She was a young lady in waiting, but she was making herself faithful. I'm going to be busy. If I'm busy, I can't be distracted. Number two, I want to speak this to every woman in this room, every woman who is listening right now, and I want you to hear me with everything you've got. Your inner beauty matters most. Do not let some photoshopped magazine or picture dictate your worth. Do not let society's standards on you as a woman about what you should look like, how you should dress. I'll just say this very boldly. Ladies, if you're a wife, your cleavage belongs to your husband. Boy, Pastor Don is preaching. I got to take a little sip. I need you to grab a hold of something here. Your inner beauty is what matters most. Rachel is described as beautiful in appearance. But that is as far as it went. She is whiny, she is envious, she is selfish, she's a liar, she's demanding, but she had everything. By contrast, her sister Leah is not beautiful. She's weak in the eyes. She's got some form of physical defect that's going to keep her from ever being able to get married. But in spite of being unloved, in spite of being flawed, she was a better wife to Jacob than Rachel. The Bible has a lot to say about the hidden person of the heart. Um, 1 Peter 3, 4. But let your adornings be hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Let me tell you something, ladies. God doesn't care whether you think jewelry makes you beautiful. God doesn't care whether you think the number on a scale makes you beautiful or ugly. God doesn't care if the clothes that you wear fit a certain way and that makes you beautiful, those type of things. You are a daughter of the king. Amen. And he loves you. Amen. It's your inner beauty that matters. As a matter of fact, I think what's beautiful about women is God's variety. 
Should you take care of yourself? Absolutely. But we all know that looks different for every person. Your inner beauty is an incredible thing. And you develop that inner beauty by drawing time and spending time with Jesus. You'll be praised not only by God, but by your husband and your children. You love Proverbs 31. Well, let me read 31 verse 30. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. But a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. I want you to embrace the fact that in this room with all these women, you are a beautiful woman. Don't let vanity grip your heart. Number three, fuel your faith daily. Now, I I can't spend a lot of time here because I need to move on, but Rachel had a weak view of God and it tainted every part of her life. Ladies, I, I know that there's a longing in your life for your husband to lead you spiritually, and rightly so. The Bible says, uh, God speaks to Eve and says to her, you'll have need of your husband. So that is a godly thing. It is something God spoke to, to Eve, and it's something that God speaks to every woman. There is nothing, nothing inappropriate about that need. There's nothing inappropriate about it, regardless of what feminism or the worldly idea may say to you about this. She comes from a pagan family of idol-worshiping, witchcraft-practicing people. And the word mandrakes is in the Bible for a reason to let you know that that is what they did. Only after, it's only after the birth of her firstborn son that she ever even acknowledges God. How long did that take? A solid faith seems out of reach for Rachel because she had a half-hearted faith. And ladies, listen, how closely can you relate to a half-hearted faith? Let's just be honest because God's dealing with us all. How strong or weak ladies, how strong or weak wife, how strong or weak young handmaiden is your faith in God? How strong or weak is your view of God? It's important. Let me tell you why I believe it's important. Because ladies, what you believe determines how you live. Well, I feel it's uncomfortable in the room, but I love you. And, and here's the most beautiful thing about a woman. A woman who has an attitude of gratitude is a beautiful woman. Come on. She's blessed Here Rachel is blessed with a hard-working husband, yet she's discontent. Why? Because she was fixed on the one thing she didn't have. It's easy to get frustrated, ladies, with God when your dreams don't seem like they're coming true. Come on, come on, come on. Let's just be honest. I mean, these are just real raw messages, right? And for some, even though their dream doesn't come true, or it's one of those things where we always blame God, and, and for some whose dreams do come true, it's never enough. The sin of discontentment has infected countless marriages. And and I know that I'm talking to the ladies right now, but gentlemen, you can grab a hold of that too. Today's society fosters a spirit of disaffection in women. Negative attitudes. Nothing is more standoffish than a negative attitude. 
Counter that by a habit of praise. Counter that by the thousands of things in your life that you have to be grateful for, right? I know it's not perfect and maybe you are struggling and maybe there's some disappointments and some wounds in your life, but you are still here and God is still with you and God is still carrying you through the day. You've got much to be grateful for. Yes, you do. If your husband's out of line, that's why there's elders in this church. We'll adjust him. (laughs) He won't stay around. I don't mind it. I just don't. Because see, the same knot-headed stuff that he's doing every day, that if the church caught me doing, you'd put me out on the street. And rightly so. So I don't mind adjusting him. Hello, somebody. You're not going to require something of me that you ain't going to walk in. Let's be men. And I tell the discipleship guys, and they'll hear it a thousand times, I don't mind walking with guys who have issues. I just mind walking with guys who don't want to work on their issues. You tick me off. I got issues. You're quiet today. Wow, look at that. I'm working on this thing. She was thinking about something. All right, ladies, we love you. Watch this. I got to go here. Lessons for husbands. Gentlemen, here's the first thing I want to tell you about this story. Let your wife in on the real you. She knows you anyway. (laughs) You can hide some from everybody else, but you're not hiding your stinky, smelly feet from her. She knows what it looks like when you come out of the bathroom. Let her in on who you are. God's given you feelings. Let your wife in on that. I didn't say be immature. Big difference. Jacob wasn't afraid to show his emotions from the get-go. He saw this beautiful woman and all these shepherds were standing around and like, this is my chance. I'm going to show this girl something. Get out of the way. And he grabs a hold of that rock and he flexes a little bit for her. Poof. And she's standing there looking at it. And while she's in awe that he moves this rock, he kisses her right on the lips and goes, woo! I mean, you talk about Ric Flair, nature boy. Woo! Some of y'all don't even know who Ric Flair was. (laughs) Ric Flair. I wish I could. If I could, I would. Y'all better believe it. (laughs) Gentlemen, one of the biggest complaints that my wife and I hear from wives when we sit down and work with couples is the lack of emotions from their husbands. And I've literally heard wives complain and say, he won't, I would, he won't even fight with me. I would even take that if he would just do that. I can't get anything out of him. Listen, if you're not letting your wife in on the real you, you are withholding something that makes you and your wife an incredible thing that can join you into best friends like everything. I, I, listen, at my house, you can ask my wife, I don't mind being silly. Sometimes I do things just for shock factor. Oh, you do 
I wouldn't do that in, <laughs> in public. You got to let her in on the real you, man. If she is familiar with your stink, let her be familiar with your heart. What's wrong with that? What's wrong with that? Gentlemen, do this. Practice looking out for others' interests. Nothing makes you more attractive to your wife when she sees you giving your life away to help other people. That is a big thing that you young ladies need to pay attention to when you are thinking about your Jacob. Or maybe you shouldn't think about your Jacob. Maybe you should think about somebody else's name. But anyway, <laughs> if all he ever does is serve himself, he ain't serving you neither. Dues. Did I say dues? That's southernese. Y'all get it. Jacob was selfish. I wrote down some things about Jacob's selfishness. He wanted the birthright, which God had already promised. But instead of receiving it in a godly way, he took it unrighteously. He wanted the blessing from his father, so he manipulated his whole family to get it. He wanted Rachel, and he didn't care who he had to hurt to get her. He got everything he went after, but he lost his family in the process. God calls husbands and men to practice looking out for the interests of others. Be givers, love sacrificially, work diligently, husbands. As a husband, let us turn our tendencies away from selfishness and towards a sacrifice and sacrifice for our wives, sacrifice for our children. Talk to any man who has walked through the brokenness in his life of losing his family and somewhere in that story, he will confess selfishness. And let me tell you something, young man. You listen to Pastor Don and you listen to him really, really well right now. If she says no, no means no. Amen. If she said, I don't want to go out with you, no means no. If she says, I don't want to hold your hand, no means no. No means no. Be a man of honor. Let God turn her yes into a yes if it's of God. Never manipulate her or anybody else. No is no. No is no. And shame on us parents. For helping our children, especially our boys, work themselves around, no. I get. If she said no, she said no. If we teach our boys that no doesn't mean no now, no won't mean no later. And there's going to be a hell to pay. 
Because we didn't teach our boys no means no. And let me tell you something else, young men. Sometimes when she's melted herself and poured herself into a pair of jeans, her yes should still mean no to you. Why? Because your first and foremost call is to honor that woman before God. And if you don't honor her with God, God will never honor her with you. I'm just done. I got to go. I got to go. I got to be done right now. I'm just... I want to raise up a, a, I want to raise up a generation of godly men. I, I do. I, you know what? I don't care. I, I might not be the perfect pastor. I might not be the perfect man. But I am not afraid to ask you to follow me in this. Follow me as I follow Christ in honoring the women in our lives. I guarantee you'll be a better man. If her yes is outside the bounds of God's definition of boundaries, it's still no. You'll be better off for it because you don't want to be married to Rachel. Oh! Practicing witchcraft in that closet. Where was I? Because that wasn't in my notes. All right, number three. Know who's number one. Jacob loved. It was divided. He had no choice. When it comes to you and your wife, it's key that you know how to live out priorities, gentlemen. It's easy to get distracted. I get it. I love hobbies. I love sports. I love adventure. And it's easy for me to get distracted and leave my wife for adventure. My heart longs for adventure. I want, I want to do what they said I can't do. I want to do the things, right, that, that, that cause me to, to walk the edge. And I want to feel that passion. I love climbing trees and shooting whatever walks under it and dragging it home and eating it. I love it! <laughs> but when it comes to your wife, it's too easy to get distracted and allow our wives to take a back seat And let me tell you something, gentlemen, listen to me and listen to me very well. Your wife should never take a back seat to anything. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Come on! That's a dirty dancing scene. Husbands, let me and you make this resolution today. I resolve to tell my wife I love you every day. Every day. She might not even like me. Don't matter. Number two, I resolve to show my my love to my wife by my actions. Number three, I resolve to nurture my love for my wife. You out there digging around in pornography all day long? You filling your life full of junk and garbage. You satisfying your sexual desire by yourself. Oh, I got a whole lot of stuff to talk about. 
when you get home, no wonder you ain't hungry for her. But you listen to Pastor Don and you listen to him well, gentlemen. You starve your life for that woman only and she will fill your cup. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. The Bible says in the Song of Solomon, enjoy the wife of your youth. That means even when I'm an old man. I'm talking to some people because this is a marriage killer. Number four, be the spiritual leader you were meant to be. Lord have mercy. How long did y'all sing today? You can't miss the fact that Jacob's faith was never passed down to his family. He failed to instruct them in the ways of God. And gentlemen, I can't apologize for this weight because I don't think it's an unbearable one. Actually, I think it's an incredible calling and an honor. But the responsibility to provide spiritual leadership falls first and foremost on the shoulders of who you are, the husband. And I'm going to ask you a serious question here. What kind of ungodliness will our family be carried away with because we refuse to lead spiritually. I don't know how to do that, Pastor Don. Start with yourself. You can't lead her in devotions if you aren't devoted. Start with yourself. You can't pray with her if you don't pray. Then you lead her. Then you do those things. Start with yourself. Start right now. It's never too late to start. It's never too late to start. Start right now, gentlemen, and start with yourself. I guarantee you one of the most blessed things your wife will own in this world is she knows you have a relationship with the living God. And in those hard times, when it's difficult for her and for you, She'll have an ability to trust you and God because she's watched you through the years walk with God. She's, walked God. she's watched God speak to you and she's watched you be obedient to the voice of the Lord. That gives her strength then to move when she don't understand. Last but not least, remember, united you stand and divided you fall. Studies show that of all the problems faced in marriage... In-law problems rank in the top five. Guys and ladies, just like I told the, 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 the guys earlier, ladies, you can embrace this too. If this is a problem in your marriage, you better talk about it. If you've got parents and in-laws of any kind who are yipping in the background about your marriage, this, that, and the other, you need to put a stop to that mess. You're not married to them. They ain't married to you. And when it all falls apart, they ain't going to be around to help you. They're going to be there to say, told you so. I don't got time for that stuff. Some of us are blessed with great in-laws. We should celebrate that. 
be sure your extended family doesn't come between you and your spouse. And you know one way you do that? Married couples? Live right and prove them all wrong. I love Doug and Nancy's stories. I don't care if I say it. Doug's like, oh, oh boy. Doug and Nancy get married and there were people in their lives. I'm not talking about in-laws. But they have told the story. There were people in their lives that said it won't last six months. How long have you been married, Doug? 36 years. Come on. Prove them wrong. Don't prove them right. Oh, Pastor Don's preaching today. This may be a long sermon, but I guarantee you it's longer than six months in my office. Oh, it's not that long, I should say. It's not as long as six months in my office. We got to learn from Jacob and Rachel. First, we learn we need a solid foundation, and that is mandatory. Second, be faithful to your spouse. You know, there's a part in the New Testament where the New Testament lists off some things that says these things ought not be named. Let them not be named once among us as believers. I, I, I called Tim up the other night and I said, dude, am I a legalist? Come on, help me, brother. I'm, I mean, I think I'm a man of grace. But that's just some stupid stuff that the road only got one ending. There's a way that seems right unto man, but the way thereof is death. Don't get off that road. Oh, my aching back. Because you know what I'm going to do when I start meeting with you? What were you thinking? You tell me where that... I, put, I, I got up from my seat one day at my desk. Guy crossed my desk. I got up. And I said, get up. And he got up. I said, go sit in my seat. He sat in my seat and I sat in his. And I said, now you're the pastor. And I just did what you did. Tell me what I'm supposed to do next. You know what he said? Um, you, you probably shouldn't do that again. Yeah, of, of course. Shouldn't have done it the first time. Get up. <laughs> Be faithful. Nothing is more beautiful than faithfulness. And listen, I, wanna, I, I know we all need to work on it. Third, I want you to communicate. Talk, 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 talk. Stand with me in this room. Can I tell you how important communication is? Friday, my wife and I went to lunch. We hadn't been able just to go to lunch together uh, in a while, just the two of us. And so I picked Black Rock up in um, Kalamazoo. And, um, yeah, because she was like, I don't know where you want to eat. And I was like, I don't know where you want to eat. I don't know. Let's eat somewhere. You know, and I felt like it was an episode of the Jungle Book, right? Let's do something. Anyway, we get there. We sit down. We're talking. And the young lady brings us uh, something to drink. And uh, she says, I'll be right back. And 
So my wife looks at me and she says, oh, I know exactly what I want. She said, but I have to go to the bathroom. So if she comes before I get back, I want this. Now I got, gentlemen, I got all the information I need. I know exactly what my wife wants. I am about to be a hero. The lady, the young lady comes back. My wife's not back yet. And she says, what would you like? I said, I would like this. It's a, it's a burger with some bacon and a, a fried egg on top of it. And it's just heavenly lamb supper burger. And I want that. I want bacon and egg on my burger. And, I, and fries. And, and my wife has been working really hard for the last few months. Not only just, but dealing with her health and some other things and eating different. And so I'm very proud of her and uh, I, I want to help her honor that and those type of things. And so this, this young lady says, okay, I want this, my wife wants this sandwich. And she says, okay, um, does she want fries? I don't, I don't have this information. <laughs> she, she, did, she just said she wants the sandwich. But fries come with it. And I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, like, no, she's not going to eat those fries. That is not what she's been doing over the last few months. That's just bad. She's not going to eat those potatoes. She doesn't want those potatoes. She's been low-carbing, and that's not going to be good. And that's going to be a lot of carbs. And so, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. I'm going to be the hero. So I said, what else is available? And she said, onion rings and sweet potato fries. Now, I, I, I realize in, in my heart that I don't like sweet potato fries, but I know that people who do low-carb stuff, sometimes they substitute sweet potatoes for potatoes and that kind of thing. And I'm in my mind, I'm thinking, great, this is a perfect thing. This would be perfect for her because it won't be fries, but it'll be similar to fries. And, and it's healthy. And she will be excited. Off the little girl goes, and, and she puts the order in, and my wife comes back, and we start talking, we're having fun, and uh, I, I don't even know what we're talking about. It doesn't matter. That's what makes it so great. And this young lady shows up with our food, and she puts my burger with the fried egg and the bacon on it. Oh, my gosh. And, and I'm just looking at it, and she puts my wife's sandwich down, and she puts my fries next to my burger, and then she says, and here are the sweet potato fries. And I kid you not, the whole restaurant heard this. My wife said out loud, Ew! It was so loud, the little waitress almost dropped the plate. And she looks at me, and I look at her, and both of us are panicked because my wife is like, oh, why would you do that? And, the, and I looked at the waitress, I'm like, never mind, just put them right there, it's fine, we're okay. We just haven't been out in a while, and we're still working this thing out, you know? Like, and she puts the plate down, and she goes up, you can see she's panicked. We didn't see her for a long time, you know? Like, I mean, like, and, and my wife looks at me, she said, why would you order 30 years we've been married? Not once have I ever ordered sweet potato. The whole restaurant heard that. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm, I'm sorry. I had to make a decision because I didn't have all the information. And we didn't really communicate about that. And communication is important. And I'm sorry we didn't communicate about the side. And so I made, just put it right there. I'll eat them or we just won't eat them at all. And when she comes back, I'll get you something else. Not a big deal. So my wife's like, hmm. What I didn't know is they put sugar on top of those sweet potato fries. And cinnamon. And then they give you a cup of melted caramel for you to dip those fries in. And so my wife takes that. 
She puts it in the cup and she eats it. And instantly you could hear all of heaven singing. Oh. Y'all don't have date dates like we do. You, you got to work on your Bible reading and you got to work on your date dates. I'm just telling you. Communicate. It's important. You see, this is why we do this real life stuff. And this is why this ministry takes so much time doing it. Because your marriage is important to God. And if it's important to God, it's important to this house. Because the vision of this house works on the strength of this house. And I say it to the men of this church. Any church is only as effective as the men who sit in it. I'm not anti-women. I just believe God's calling men back to leadership. So that our women don't suffer. And then they step in and help meet the call of God. Y'all not helping me. I want you to be blessed. Next week we're going to end this thing. And I hope you'll glean everything God wants for you. Father, right now in the name of Jesus, thank you for your faithfulness in this word. Let it be a blessing to our heart. Pray it in Jesus' name.